May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Comedies, horror, musicals, love stories, all great genres of film. But for my money, I'd take a caper movie over any of them any day. You know the caper movies, don't you? This is the ones where, um, where someone has to break into a bank or they have to crack a computer code or they have to rescue somebody from a foreign prison. And the whole, the whole uh, plot is kind of hinged on some villain who's really the evil guy and, and he's holding all things together. You know, he's got all the money or the prisoner or something like that and he's got the secret codes. And, and so he, he kind of builds the fortress and, and the whole point of the movie is that the heroes have to sort of crack that impenetrable whatever it is. And, and they do. They, they, they come up with a plan. And that's the point. It's the plan, right? You, 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 you get into the movie at first and you see, oh, wow, the, the prison has 27 layers of security or, or the, the computer has the greatest firewall ever created or, or you know, the, the vault is, is, you know, so thick or whatever, you can't get through it. But then the plan. I mean, once you know the problem, you can see the plan. And, and this is where the heroes get together and they start to come up with something and they're, they're working their way through it. And, and uh, you want to say at first... This mission seems impossible. In fact, that'd be a good name for a film. Mission Impossible. I coined that right here, Jim. Well, make sure we get that. But this is we. This is impossible. We can't do this. But we have a plan. We ha- we know how to get through it. And you begin to see, as the plan begins to unfold, maybe this is possible. Maybe we can pull this off. Maybe something can come out of this after all. And you know, the best screenwriters, they, they always save, they always save that little bit, you know, that one little bit that, that you didn't see coming and, and the heroes saw coming and they anticipated it or, or whatever. And you're like, oh, how'd they know that was going to happen? And they get through it. For those of us old enough to remember the 1980s, there was this show on television called The A-Team. Does anybody remember The A-Team? It had Mr. T in it, you know, he always say things like, I pay the fool, you know, or I ain't getting on no airplane or whatever, something like, you know, it was always this kind of gruff, mean stuff. Uh, well, The A-Team was supposed to be this, this ex-special forces group that were being chased down by the government. In fact, at the beginning, it opens like this. I, I, I wish Paul was here. Paul Thilo, he's got that voice. He could do this right here, but I, I'll give it my best shot. And it goes, in 1972, see, I can't really get there, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for some crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. Does anybody remember this? Oh, it was awesome. It was the best thing ever. And this is what they, they, they were always working for good. Always trying to help, you know, some poor soul who was being oppressed. They're always, and they always had a plan, you know. It involved things like helicopters and machine guns and duct tape. It was amazing. And they would make it work. And at the end, the guy Hannibal would say, Oh, I love it when a plan comes together. Oh, that, that was it. That was the, the catchphrase. You know, every, Oh, I love it when a plan comes together. And you would see it. And the plans always came together. And good always prevailed. It was so delightful. 30 minutes, you could go from big problem to solution right there, just in the blink of an eye. 
And that, of course, is the wonder of television and movies. Every problem in life can be solved in 30 minutes or, if you go to a film, 90 minutes. You know, We can get through this. All these things can be done and finished with. But that's not real life, is it? In fact, banks are really good places to put your money. People are not going to find ways in there. And the Mona Lisa is secure in the Louvre. There's nobody's going to steal it. They're going to try maybe, but they're not going to get it. And there are people who are in foreign prisons, war correspondents, who are not going to be found. And you read about in the papers every day just like I do. And all sorts of troubles that people find. There is not some cache of technology or knowledge that's just going to swoop in and save us all from our problems all the time. And even if on films it seems that way, even in television it seems that way, in real life we all know it doesn't exactly work that way. And that's sort of the gospel lesson today, too. We've just come from Christmas. Happy, wonderful, warm, fuzzy Christmas. And we're, we're just barely down the road. Another chapter, and what happens? You have Jesus being pursued by a bloodthirsty king. We have, um, we have Herod the Great, he's later called. Perhaps one of the most brutal and ruthless kings ever. Also one of the most paranoid. He, he murdered his own wife several of his own sons for fear that someone might be in a plot to try to take his position, his, uh, his authority. He was always worried about this, always playing political angles. Matthew tells us that while Herod is in Israel, some magi, some men from, from the west come, or uh, from the east rather, come westward to, to Israel because they're searching for this one called the king of the Jews. We don't know how they knew this. Somehow they look in the stars and they divine from those star constellations that there is one to be born the king of the Jews. And they assumed in Jerusalem, and I think they also assumed into the family of Herod. And so they go knocking on the door. Hello, Mr. Herod. Did you have a child recently? Because we understand that there's a child that's been born king of the Jews, which just gets to Herod. I mean, he's, he's already you know, most paranoid person on earth probably. And now he thinks that someone's after his throne. And so he's going to go after him. And he's going to kill this person that's going to be the king of the Jews. Now here's the question. How will, will God's plan, how will this Messiah figure survive with this bloodthirsty? I mean, this is all the makings of a good film, isn't it? A villain, a hero, a villain with all the power and resources of, of a kingdom, with money, a, a hero who's sorely oppressed, who has nothing to help himself. Joseph and Mary, no two pennies to rub together. How's God going to save them? And you know the story, right? By a dream. Joseph's going to have a dream, go to Egypt. The, the wise men, the magi are going to have a dream, don't go back to Herod. I mean, could you imagine if they had gone back to Herod and said, oh yeah, we found him. He lives on, you know, on Light Street in Bethlehem, you know, 667, you know, not 666. He, I thought that was good. Um, he lives right down there on Light Street. You'll be able to find him. Just go. Well, of course, Herod goes and he kills him in that case. But he doesn't because there are dreams and visions and people flee and they go to the wrong places. And, and it all works out really well right up until this point. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. He sent and had all the children murdered. 
You see, it's all like the movies. Everything's great and happy right up to this point. Right up to the point where Herod sends to Bethlehem and murders all these little children. Not like the movies at all. No plan was concocted to save all of them. Somebody suffered. And they suffered greatly. The Bible doesn't try to gloss over suffering. The one thing that, that, you know, that everybody has to answer the question, you know, why is it that people suffer? Where does all this pain come from in the world? And the Bible doesn't try to avoid it either. It doesn't try to act like it's not going to happen. But it always points us back to the real problem. See, the problem that, that you find in this passage is that you have a king who wants to murder people because of his own self-interest. In order to preserve his wealth and his power, his hold over people, he's willing to murder even little babies. The problem that Herod has is the problem of all humanity, only exponentially greater. Is a problem of a nature that's bent against God. And St. Augustine says that we all have it. That everyone is born with a nature bent away from God and bent towards self. I remember um, this pastor I had in, in Kentucky. I went to this Lutheran church when I was a doctoral student. Ron Lucky was his name. Fantastic man. You should meet him sometime. Anyway, he said one time, he said, St. Benedict said that when every man came into a monastery, he learned two things straight away. The first one was the guy next to him who was also joining the monastery was a complete jackass. And the second thing was he had 40 years to get used to living with him. You know, that's exactly the truth, isn't it? My wife and I have been married for almost 25 years this year. 25 years, a quarter of a century. You would think in a quarter of a century that she would have had time to change me. But I think it's going to take another quarter century at least before we get close to that. You know, here's the thing. I am, by nature, a complete slob. I know, so it's shocking to you, it is, I know. Those of you who have been in my office, you're like, yeah, let's talk about that one. Yeah, um, I am, just by nature. But because I love her, I try. I mean, I really try not to be. You would not, if you knew how hard I tried, you would be so proud of me. <laughs> and yet, somehow, I just can't manage to get there. It's not lack of education. You know, it's not that I don't understand the issue. I do. It's not for lack of desire, because I would like to, by nature, be a very neat person. I love... Neat people impress me so much. But I'm not one. And so no matter how much I try, no matter how much I realize it's an important thing to do, I find that I still don't do it by nature. You know, I have little reminders that help spur my memory and say, Oh yeah, you have to do this. Matthew tells us about Jesus' flight to Egypt, not to say Jesus was better than all the other children in Bethlehem. Not that at all. He tells us about about Jesus' flight to, to Egypt, juxtaposed against what Herod did to all those other little children, so that he would say to us, look, the problem isn't that, that nature is against us. The problem isn't that we have poor education. The problem isn't that we the problem is that we have a moral problem as human beings. This is why Jesus comes, right? This is what the angel says. You will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will save their people from their waywardness, from their rebellion. 
We're at New Year's. Resolutions. Last day of Christmas. How about a New Year's resolution that says this? I can't do it. I mean, that's a really good New Year's resolution, isn't it? I mean, New Year's, they're always about what you can do. You know, you're going to quit this or do that, start doing this or not do it. How about a New Year's resolution that says, I can't do it. Lord, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Lord, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Because, friends, that's what we call grace. And if ever we need anything this year, it's more of that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.